So good morning. My name is Brian Legg. I'm one of the pastors on our lead pastor team here at TBA. So glad that you could be here. You have picked a special day to be here at TBA. Today we're going to be participating in baptism, and it's going to be an awesome celebration as we celebrate together. So a couple weeks ago, I kicked off this new series called Obey. And that's just one of those things that you don't think about being a series that you're going to enjoy very much, is it? The idea, obey. I mean, I've got to obey something. But we're just trying to look at some of the simple things that God asks for our obedience in. And as we look through that, the first week we really took some time to just ask the question, why? God, why do you even ask for our obedience? Why is it that, that you want us to be obedient? What is the motivation behind that? And it really boiled down to this simple thing. God wants it to be an overflow of our heart. He wants to connect to us in an amazing way, and he wants us to respond in obedience simply because of his amazing love for us in our lives. And then last week, Stivey and Tim talked to us about how we're obedient through living scent. And as they talked about that concept, we saw some videos from the men's team in Honduras. We talked about different things that they've done. And the theme that came through in all of that was this really simple thing. It was that in the simplest of things, when God asks for our obedience, he can do major stuff. And the simplest little acts, and even the things that maybe don't make sense or don't seem like a big deal, God uses those and does amazing things. And so this week, I want us to key in on one of those simple acts of obedience. And that simple act is this, baptism. We've already got the baptistry set up. I just told you we're going to celebrate baptism together. We're going to walk through some of that. But I want us to talk a little bit about what that means this morning. And before we jump into all the details about what baptism is and why we do things the way we do and how those things look, I first want us to go back to a story that I shared a couple weeks ago as we kicked off this series because more than the theology or the doctrine behind baptism, I want you to understand the why behind it. What's the motivation? Why do we do baptism? Why do we do it the way we do? What is that motivation? So let's go back to the story of Abraham that I shared a couple weeks ago. And if you remember that story of Abraham, Abraham was an old man, and his wife Sarah was very old. She was well past childbearing years. But they had been praying and praying and praying to have a son. And God finally promises them, you're going to have a son, and and this son is actually going to be the father of many nations for you, and, and he's going to begin your line. And so Abraham's excited, and they have the son, Isaac, born very late to them in life, and and just the fact that they had Isaac, it was a miracle. And as Isaac grows and gets a little older, and the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how old he was when this happened, but we're guessing he was probably at least in his teenage years, maybe even a young adult. God comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. I want you to kill your son and lay him on an altar and burn his body and sacrifice him to me. Now, I read that story and I go, How do you do that? How do you even relate to what Abraham must have been feeling, what he was going through? It's a hard story for me, and I can't imagine walking through that, but there are a couple things that I'm learning from this story that I want to point out this morning. If you will, just pick up the story with me in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 3. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. And the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place that God had told him about. Now, the first thing I want you to pay attention to is the transition that happens between verse 2 and verse 3. Verse 2, God says to Abraham, Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him 
as a burnt offering. That's not an easy request. That's not a simple statement there. This isn't meet me for breakfast tomorrow morning. It's not something that just happens. God in that one statement just said something huge. Take your son who I promised to you, who I gave to you in a miraculous way, and I want you to kill him and give him back to me. Now, this is what all the promises that Abraham knows from God are built on is his son, Isaac. He has seen God be faithful through Isaac, and now all of a sudden God's asking him to give him back. If I'm Abraham, I'm going, God, how could you possibly ask me to kill my own son? Why would you ask me to do this? What's the point? God, I mean, I'd be questioning everything about my faith. God, how can I even believe in you if you're asking me to do something crazy like this? But note how Abraham responds. The next morning, Abraham got up early and he began to make preparations to do what God asked him to do. Now think about that a minute. We know there's a little bit of time that passes in there. God tells him this and then Abraham responds in obedience. So there's a little time in between and you don't have a lot of Abraham's emotions. You don't, you don't read about his thoughts. You don't know what he's going through. But look how quickly, the next morning, God just asked you to sacrifice your child. And it says the next morning, Abraham got up early and started to make preparations. That's obedience. Abraham was obedient, no questions asked. We read that and we know it didn't make sense But somehow, Abraham trusted that God's plan was better, even if it didn't make sense to him. And he was obedient. I wish I could have that kind of faith, the kind of trust, that ability to be obedient in those toughest moments when God's asking me to do something where it just doesn't make sense, and I go, I don't get it, but I trust you anyway. And if I'm being honest, there's moments where that's true in my life, but then there's moments where that's not so true in my life. And I bet it's the same for you. Because the reality is I struggle to surrender fully and trust God more than I trust me. Been there? We try to play God in our own lives. We trust ourselves more than we trust God so many times. But Abraham was simply obedient. He trusted God first and foremost. Now here's the other thing I want you to see. Back to the very beginning, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Now, we read that phrase, and I think this is probably one of the most misunderstood phrases, especially in this story, maybe in the Scripture. God tested Abraham's faith. What do we immediately assume when we read that? We assume that God is testing Abraham to find out, will Abraham be faithful to me? Will he really do what I ask him to do? Will he be obedient? See, I don't know that that's really what's happening here, although that's what we read into it. I mean, think about it. Why are we tested in life? Put yourself in a school setting. Why do we give tests to students in school? Is it so that the teacher will know whether or not the student knows the information? Well, yeah, to some extent, because they need to be able to assess them. They need to know how to continue teaching. They need to know how to present the information. They need to find out, are the kids getting it? Do I need to do this differently? But in reality, when you look at education as a whole, is that the reason that we test our students? I would say no. See, the reality is we give a test to a student because the student needs to know, have I learned the information Have I figured this out? Am I I picking up the material? Do I get this? Do I understand it? Do I know how to walk through this? It's so the student can learn and grow. Ultimately, the motivation behind a test 
is for the student to see how well they are learning, whether they've mastered the material they're being tested on. So it's not so much for the teacher, but rather it's for the student. So do you think that God's testing Abraham so that God will know whether or not Abraham's been faithful? Of course not. Think about it a minute. God's omniscient. He knows everything. He knew whether or not Abraham was going to be faithful before he even created Abraham. So why would God give Abraham a test so that Abraham can prove to God that he's going to be faithful? See, I would suggest that the test is not so much for God's benefit, but rather it's for Abraham's benefit. It is so that Abraham will prove to himself that he is faithful in these moments. It is so that he will remember God's faithfulness to him and he will choose obedience even when it's not logical, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it rails against everything that he thinks is right. See, quite simply, obedience is not as much about God as it is about you and me. Let that soak in a second. Obedience is not as much about God as it is about you or it is about me. It is my opportunity to gauge my own faithfulness and my commitment in my relationship with Christ. How much do I really trust God? How much do I really depend upon Him? Do I trust Him outside of my own understanding? Well, I depend on Him when things don't make sense. So you're probably sitting there wondering, okay, what's all this have to do with baptism? Everything. You see, baptism is our first act of obedience when we come to Christ. It is depicted throughout Scripture about this. Throughout the New Testament, it is always our first act of obedience after choosing to follow Christ. And there are numerous examples, one story after another, where someone comes to Christ and they're immediately baptized. In fact, there's some of the stories that it happens so fast that people have misinterpreted it to where they think that baptism is a part of the salvation process and both things have to happen in order to come to relationship with Christ. Now, I would strongly disagree with that because I don't see anywhere in Scripture that we're told that we have to be baptized in order to be saved. Here's the unfortunate thing. When the Bible was translated from the original Greek into English, there are a few verses where there were some words that were not interpreted the best they could have been. And when you read those words, it leaves you with the impression of salvation and baptism happen simultaneously in order to come to relationship with Christ. But in reality, what it should be saying is that baptism is a natural result of the decision that we have made to follow Christ. There's no verse in Scripture that tells us that we have to be baptized in order to be saved. In fact, there are probably three or four verses that are kind of confusing like that with a bad translation, and there's more than 50 or more that tell you the story where it explains to you that salvation happens only by faith through Jesus Christ, and it's only by His grace that we are saved. In fact, one of the best examples I love is the story of the thief on the cross. And when Jesus goes to the cross to be crucified, he's hung in between two other criminals. And if you remember the interaction that happened between the criminals, one basically spited him. He was basically saying to Jesus, you know, just save yourself. Take yourself down off the cross. If you're this great Messiah, take care of things. But what happened with the other thief? The other thief realized who Jesus was. And he had a repentant heart. And he says a simple phrase to Jesus. He says, when you go to your kingdom, remember me. Remember me in your kingdom. And how does Jesus respond in that moment? Do you remember? Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, did Jesus stop and say, well, I'm sorry, you can't be with me in my kingdom because you're already on the cross. There's no way you're going to get baptized before you die. No. He just says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He looks at the heart of the thief. He sees the repentance that is there. He sees 
the conviction that is in his heart. And that was enough. It was good enough for him. I want you to hear clearly, baptism is not salvation. It is our first act of obedience that demonstrates salvation. It demonstrates the decision that we've made in our heart to follow Christ and to begin living our lives differently. In the Great Commission, Jesus clearly marks the importance of baptism being the symbolic start of a new journey. Great Commission, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. Bring them to me. Let them understand who I am. Let them come to relationship with me and then baptize them to mark the beginning of that new journey. Even Jesus was baptized as he began his ministry. It was that symbolic start. And much like the ceremonial washings of the Jews that they would do in preparation for worship, baptism was designed to be symbolic of an inward cleansing, a washing of the heart. And it's the beginning of a new direction in life. Very simply put, Baptism is the public proclamation of our faith to our family, our friends, and the world around us. You know, one of my favorite illustrations about baptism is the comparison of baptism to a wedding band. Think about that for a moment. Baptism compared to a wedding band. I just did a wedding yesterday for a young couple in our church, and and I was remembering as I go through that, part of the ceremony talks about the symbolism of the rings. And it talks about how important that ring is. And, And you look at your wedding band... And it is this unbroken circle that you put on your finger. And it's supposed to represent the the unbrokenness of our love, that our love will continue forever and that we're committing this lifelong thing through marriage. And we talk about the precious metals that the wedding band is made of and how it's designed to be a symbol to remind us not to let impurities come into our lives and come into our marriages and to protect that marriage. And it's a symbol of communion, communion with God, communion with one another. And we walk through all these symbols of marriage But guess what? Putting that wedding band on my finger doesn't make me committed to my spouse. Putting that wedding band on my finger doesn't make me married. Marriage is a commitment that we make, and it is something we live out. Because I'm wearing that ring doesn't mean I'm going to be faithful. It's a commitment that I've made in my heart to my spouse to be faithful. It's a whole different picture, and baptism is exactly the same way. It is that public picture of the decision that we've already made in our heart. And there's all kinds of symbolism that goes with baptism, just like there is the wedding ring. Look at how Paul said it in Romans 6, starting in verse 3. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. I want you to see clearly that baptism is a picture of dying to self and being raised to do life in Christ. It's a picture of dying to ourselves, to our own way of thinking, to the sin that controls us, and then being raised to new life in Christ, following his ways and breaking the chains of sin in our lives so that we can experience freedom in Christ. Here at TBA, we baptize by immersion, and I'm going to explain a little more fully about that in a minute and why we do that, but I want you to see the picture that is painted in the way we baptize. When you go under the water, it is a picture of dying to self. It's a picture of being, uh, being like Christ, being joined with Christ in his death and in his burial. It's a picture of our old life and our sin being put to death because Christ died on the cross for us. And when we come up out of the water, it's a picture of new life. It's a picture of resurrection with Jesus. It's a picture of a new beginning and a new start with us. 
It's also that picture of us being joined with Christ by the chains of our sin and slavery being broken as we start that new life. Baptism is also a great picture of washing. But again, it's symbolic. When you go under the water, you're not bringing your soap and shampoo with you to clean yourself, but you go under the water and you come up and the water is dripping down across you and it's this ceremonial picture that describes a washing. But it's supposed to be painting a picture of the cleaning that's happened in your heart. What's happened inside of you? What's changed in your spirit? Not so much the outside of your body. Over the last couple of weekends, I've been trying to pressure wash my house and I've got a, a house with white vinyl siding. Except we had gotten to the point that the siding was no longer white. It was more like green and black and maroon, and it was just nasty. And so I grab the pressure washer, and I go home, and I, I start washing. There's some areas that it just cleans up real nice, and then there's other areas where you've got to spray bleach on it and, and really let it work at, the, at the, uh, the algae and stuff that's growing on it. And then you come back, and you wash it, and you clean it up. And so last Saturday, I'm washing my house, and I'm about you know, a quarter of the way around my house, and I'm on the living room wall on the outside, and I'm going to town, and the pressure washer runs out of gas. Of course, it runs out of gas, the motor stops, all the noise goes away. And what do I hear inside? Two of my girls yelling at each other about, you stole this or you took that from me. And it was this normal sibling rivalry kind of interaction going on inside the house. And in that moment, I realized that's a great picture of our relationship with God. Because some of us spend all of our time trying to wash the outside of the house and make it look like new, and get rid of all the junk, and make it presentable, but nothing's changed inside. See, I can pressure wash my house all day long, and it'll look great when you drive down the street. It's white again. But if the relationships inside are not healthy, what does that really matter? What happens to our home at that point? See, I knew I was going to be speaking on baptism this week, and it was like God was saying this very clearly to me. See, washing the outside never changes the inside. And it's the inside that matters. It's our heart that matters. Without heart change, baptism is just getting wet. Plain and simple. Without heart change, baptism is just getting wet. There's no point we're wasting our time, but when our heart is changed, baptism is the most powerful public proclamation of that change that we can make. It is us declaring to the world that we're living life differently in this home, and it's our statement to ourselves that we are all in, that we're committing to follow Christ, that we're surrendering to his ways, that we are trusting him, and we're going to be obedient in every area of life. Now let me pause here for a minute. I want to explain a little bit about how we do baptism and why we do it the way we do. As I mentioned to you earlier, we baptize by immersion, and there's a specific reason we do that. The word baptize that we see in the Bible comes from the Greek word baptizo. And here it is in the Greek that you can see, and then I put it in an English translation to make it a little easier. Really, if you spelled this well in English, it would be B-A-P-T-I-D-Z-O, baptizo. But it's the Greek word for baptize, meaning to dip or to immerse. That's the most common definition. You also see it translated as wash or some other things, but it is primarily meant to dip completely or to immerse. Now, it's interesting how we got this word, because... Typically, when you look at English translations of the Bible, what's happened is they go to the Greek translation and they take the words in Greek and they translate them to what they mean in English, which makes sense. That's a translation. Baptize is different. They didn't do that. The word baptizo is actually a transliteration into English where we get our word baptized. So they took all the individual letters of the word baptizo and they brought them over to our alphabet in English and created a new word in English. And what happens is as you go through the New Testament, 
you'll see this word be used in a lot of different places. In one place in Scripture, it'll say wash, very simply. And then other places in Scripture, it says baptize. And basically, the translators are choosing, based on the context of the word, how they're going to translate it. If it is a common occurrence, which this was a common word in the Greek language. In fact, 200 B.C., there, there is a pickle recipe that has come down through history books from the year 200 B.C. where they used this word, baptizo, when they talked about dipping a cucumber into vinegar and salt and water to pickle it. Now, do you think that the cucumber was coming to Christ and making a decision and being baptized? Of course not. But they're submerging or immersing the pickle, the cucumber, in the solution to make a pickle out of it. It was just being pickled. So this was a very common word in the Greek language. But when baptism started to take on a religious context, and when you talked about a setting where someone was using this symbolically as a ceremonial washing or a cleansing or a beginning of a new journey or an alignment with faith, now we start to use this word baptize. And so you'll have some scriptures where you see it translated wash and then other scriptures where you see it translated baptize. See, early on, baptism was something that a Gentile could do as they tried to make the journey to be a Jew. So if a Gentile wanted to be a Jew, there was a process they had to walk through. If the first thing that they had to do, guys, and this is why none of us would want to translate or um, move over to Judaism if we're already following Christ, is they had to be circumcised. And I'm not going to explain to you what that is if you don't know. Go home and ask somebody else. But they would go through that process, and then they would be baptized but they would not be baptized by someone else. Instead, it was a very different ceremony. It was a ceremonial washing that they would do privately at home. And that Gentile would simply dip themselves in the water. They would submerse, go under the water, immerse themselves completely, and come up. And often they would do it multiple times. But it was a picture of them ceremonially washing themselves to become a Jew. John the Baptist was actually the first person to baptize someone else. And John the Baptist was the first to, to baptize and to help people understand that you're making a decision to come to Christ, so here's a starting point in your journey with Christ. John the Baptist was able to baptize Jesus. It was the starting point of Jesus' ministry as he began. And then as Jesus brought more disciples along, as more people committed their lives to follow Christ, they would be baptized. Jesus' apostles and his other disciples would baptize those who made a commitment to follow him. And that's exactly what we're doing when we're baptized. We're showing publicly our commitment to be disciples, to follow the teaching and the way of life of Jesus Christ. We do that by being obedient in this act of baptizo, being immersed in the water symbolically to represent that commitment. So here's the real question of the day. If we say that we're followers of Christ, why would we not be baptized? It's a very simple act of obedience. And I haven't taken time today to go through every single scripture, but I mean, literally, we could sit down and, and go through countless scriptures and stories where people come to Christ and they're baptized. It's an immediate thing that happens. They come, they make that commitment, that heart change, they accept Christ into their lives, and then they go and be baptized. Why would we not follow him in the simple act of obedience, proclaiming our commitment and symbolizing the change of heart that we've experienced? I know this will sound a little challenging, but I would even go as far as to say this. If you haven't followed in obedience with baptism, do you really have a growing relationship with Christ? And I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. Have you truly surrendered your heart, and have you committed your life to Him, or are you still trying to do life your way? 
Because this is not just about getting into water and getting wet. It's a picture of being obedient. It's a symbol, just like the wedding ring is a symbol. It's a commitment you've made in your heart, and you're showing that in a public way. See, I think some of us are trying like crazy to wash the outside of our house and to look clean on the outside, but the inside of our house is still a disaster. The inside of our house still has arguing siblings and dirty rooms and all these things that we don't want to let Christ into and let him begin to clean up and change in us. I want to reiterate, baptism is not what starts that relationship, but it is the symbol of that relationship beginning with Christ. I read a quote this past week from Max Lucado that I think sums it up perfectly. Baptism separates the tire kickers from the car buyers. Think about that. Baptism separates the tire kickers from the car buyers. Are you committed? Are you all in? Are you serious about this? Are you willing to tell other people about your relationship with Christ? Are you willing to proclaim that to the world around you? Are you just walking through the lot looking at cars and dreaming about what you might look like in one? Are you willing to sign on the dotted line and make it official and put your money where your mouth is? In just a few moments, we're going to celebrate with some people who have made that decision to follow after Christ and to follow him in that act of obedience to be baptized. And this is truly a celebration for our church family. This is one of the most exciting things we can experience as a church family is someone coming to Christ, making that decision, and being obedient to be baptized. And if you've not made that decision to follow Christ, or if maybe you're following Christ, but you've never made the decision to be baptized, I want to encourage you to do that. Make that decision to be obedient. You won't regret it. And I want to give you a couple options for how you can respond this morning. The first thing is this. As the band plays, you guys can, you can come up and, and you can kneel here in front of the stage. You can pray. I'll be here. Some of our other pastors will be around. Some of our prayer team. We'll be happy to pray with you and talk with you about that to help you to make that decision for Christ and to help you understand what it means to be obedient in baptism. But the second thing I want to ask you to do is this. Whether you come forward and pray or don't, I want to ask you to write on your connection card that you're either interested in following Christ or that you're interested in baptism. And know that when you write that down in your connection card, we're going to follow up with you this week. We're going to contact you. One of the pastors will because I want to talk with you more about that. I want you to have good understanding of that. Man, you guys go ahead and come up. I want you to have good understanding of what that means, and we want to help you begin that journey. We're going to take time to pray. And then I'm just going to ask you to respond as the band plays. And I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what God's speaking to your heart. But I do know that for a lot of us, we try to kind of keep that relationship with Christ quiet and secret because maybe it's not accepted very well with those around us. Maybe our friends don't share the same convictions that we share. And it makes it tough for us. But I want to challenge you and encourage you to take that step of faith and step out and be bold and to choose to be baptized and give that symbol of the commitment that you're making in your heart and to begin to live that out, to let that be a new beginning for you. Would you stand and pray with me? And then the band will play and you respond as God leads. God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for the time that we can just simply be here and, and hear your voice and that you teach and instruct us and that you, God, just walk with us and do life with us. I pray that right now that you would just speak to our hearts. And God, if there's someone here this morning who has not yet made that decision to follow you, has not yet made that decision to 
come to you in baptism and to be obedient in that simple act. I just pray that you would convict their heart this morning and help them to see how loving you are. Help them to understand how you truly care for them and what's best for them. And you want to lead and guide and, and give them fullness of life and help them to see life differently and have new hope. God, I pray that you would give us strength and courage to simply be obedient as you call to us. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.